Hello and welcome to the Superposition Guys podcast. My name is Yuval, and my guests today are Himadri Majumdar, CEO and co-founder of Semicon, and Yane Letinen, CSO of Semicon. Himadri, Yane, and I talk about Semicon's silicon spin qubits technology, their unique ways of shortening fab cycle time, the expected specs of their first machine, and much more. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Hello, Himadri. Hello, Yane. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So who are you and what do you do? Yeah, so uh, maybe I start. My name is Himadri, uh, Himadri Majumdar, and I'm the uh, chief executive of a up-and-coming spin-off from BTT called Semicon with a Q. And uh, today we will be talking about that. And uh, before I joined Semicon, I was the program manager for quantum technologies at BTT, which is a technical research center in Finland. And that role led various initiatives in quantum tech for the last couple of years, but now full-time in Semicon, leading the company. And I'm Janne Lehtinen, Chief Science Officer of Semicon. Uh, I was a research team leader at BTT before joining Semicon. I've got background roughly 10 years of superconducting quantum technology and now five years of semiconductors and uh, well y- you see where I'm now so where I'm thinking that the future will be so semiconductors. Excellent so what modality does Semicon use? Modality? Um, Times of what are the platforms? Oh god yes yeah so so we are using uh, spin cu- silicon spin qubits so our target is to do whole steam qubits that operate at elevated temperatures. So elevated here means a little bit above one Kelvin. So still requires cryostat, but, but uh, the power budget that's available for our uh, qubit systems is significantly higher than, than in the millikelvin regime. And what is the advantage of spin qubits over, over you know, semiconductors or craft ions or uh, other quantum modalities? Okay, the advantage uh, that it's there are several. So let's start with the first one, and that's just the physical size of the qubits. So currently, if if to compare, for example, to the superconductors, you have something which is two hundred micron sized qubit roughly, and on semiconductors you can go uh, by factor thousand smaller, so something like hundred to two hundred nanometer per qubit in size. And uh, this, of course, enables scalability in sense that you can back then more of these qubits on your chip. Um, and then the second thing is that we have really well-established fabrication technology. So, so of course, all our traditional hardware that's based on silicon processing. And now we can lever- leverage this to make these high-quality components for, for silicon quantum processing. And then, which we already a little bit scraped there, was the operation temperature. So these silicon um, qubits can be operated up to temperature of several kelvins, which then enables monolithic integration. So we can put control hardware in addition to the qubits on the same chip. Uh, and this relaxes a lot of the infrastructure which you need for your QPU. 
So in the end, you could actually make a GPU instance that that you can just have digital in and digital out kind of operation. It functions as real processor, not not just um, qubits and the classical processor outside. Right. So we are talking about quantum IC here, quantum integrated circuits, so to speak. Aren't there other companies that are using spin qubits? Yes, of course. I mean, we are not the only company doing it. Otherwise, it will. You can ask the question: Are why are you the only company doing it? No, there are, of course, competition, uh, and and the biggest uh, and the most recognized would be Intel trying to do it based on their Osrich processors and, and so on. And then, of course, there are competition in in UK, in, in France, in in, in uh, Australia as well. But uh, what we see it is we we don't necessarily see them as competition as such we we see it as potential collaborators because our business model uh, as a company is not to become a full stack quantum computer maker we want to focus on the processors and build the best processors that there are so if all goes well we might hold the best processors that there can be based on semiconducting spin qubits and the other companies can potentially become our customers or, or partners as well because we we what we want to see is uh, we are the best in the processors and then others who are doing the system integration they are good at that so we don't want to do their job for them so we want to build partnerships we want to build collaboration and and then address the let's say the million qubit era hopefully in the future uh building the best quantum computers there can be with, with our processors so that's kind of like our big uh goal so to speak i think you mentioned that you're a spin-off from vtt Correct. i believe that vtt and, and perhaps you while you were working at vtt made some exciting demonstrations of spin qubits. Could you uh, give us the highlights of what these demonstrations were? What were the achievements that you were able to show? Yeah, so what we did at VDD was establish fabrication platform uh, for, for these quantum dot-based devices. Uh, and we demonstrated that we can have uh, several of, of these quantum dot arrays embedded in a cryo multiplexer. So we monolithically integrated the quantum dots to, to kind of classical CMOS, which is the cryo multiplexer. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that, that kind of showcases the, the possibility of extending these kind of systems to large scale uh, processor units. And now what we are going to do is to operate these quantum dots as spin qubits. So, so the quantum dots are kind of pre-stage of, of the qubit. And, and that, that's the current technology level. But that, what we are aiming is to be able to do solutions that truly scale. And that's why we take these steps by step. So first we need to be able to do the best quantum dots. And then we can make the best spin qubits. Right. So we, we, you guys have already demonstrated the, one of the best possible low charge noise devices that there are in terms of quantum dots. Mm. Yeah, that, that operator, well, the charge noises which we measured have been always at elevated temperatures since that's all temperature that we want to operate our spin qubits. So, so the target is to 
uh, be there and still have sufficiently good systems. Right. Building quantum hardware takes time. I'm guessing how long do you anticipate before you have something to show the market from Semicon, from the new company? Janne can answer the technical side, but what <laughs> our investors would like to see is uh, one of the things that we actually are, are, are hoping we are very good at is, is to have a very fast design and fabrication cycle, which allows us to do the development quicker and, and, and uh, get to the next generation faster and faster. So from, from our perspective, what we want to do is in a two-year time frame, go beyond the state of the art uh, that exists right now and then have different milestones in terms of tens and, and hundreds going forward as, as we continue the journey. But Janne, if you want to add some more details to that. Yeah, I, I think that that's, that's the key message. So what, what we are doing is to compress the fabrication cycle in, in two months that typically take, let's say, up to nine months or so in CMOS. So, so this is the thing, and then we can iterate fast and develop fast, fast these uh, processors. And of course, uh, the concrete demonstrators that that we are aiming those will be similar to what what's already done. But we do it in a way that that there are no hero devices. We we do it on paper scale and characterize the devices on paper scale to see that we have good yields and mm. and. Uh, we, we can actually pro, uh, produce the, the processors on quantities that, that are uh, sufficient. Yeah, and, and in that respect, one thing that might, your audience might be interested in is most of the spin qubit devices based on CMOS are, are very much dependent on the fab. So all the companies who are trying it either are doing it using their existing large fabs or or doing it in university fabs. But what we have a, a, as an as advantage, so to speak, is uh, we are operating out of this, uh, let's say, infrastructure or clean room, which is pilot line, basically, at VTT. So we have full access and a full operation, operational capacity in that clean room. So that allows us to not just do early level prototype and devices, but go to the pilot scale already by ourselves. So that's a huge advantage in terms of uh, delivering the targets quicker as well. Does that mean you anticipate that the pilots or the initial products will be manufactured at VTT and only later when you go to even larger scale, you will engage in external fab? In, in a way, just to uh, correct that, so the fab that we are talking about are, are is a, is a uh, let's say, accessible to all end users. So we will be the one doing it in the fab, even though the fab is owned by VTT and, and the universities, but we, we will be the operator operating unit in the fab. And yes, then you are correct that we will be doing the pilot manufacturing and the first generation of products in that fab. And then when we, it scales and, and the volume goes higher, then we will, uh, have tech transfer and, and partnerships accordingly. That's correct. Some hardware companies are building application-specific computers. They say, well, we can design the chip to fit a particular type of optimization problem, or maybe we do something for machine learning and so on. Do you envision your machine to be general purpose, 
universal quantum or do you envision it to be tailored to a specific type of application? Well, the target is general, general purpose uh, computer, but uh, of course there, there are specific uh, things which you would address with, with the spin qubits better. So, so it's, <laughs> it's a really broad question to ask, but the target is, is on the general side. Yeah. And, and what I, I, I think we can also uh, quite easily say is uh, being on the early stage of the company, we are quite open to collaboration. So within your audience, if there are university and research groups who want to try out a certain kind of device, then we are open to those kind of uh, suggestions and options. And uh, But like Janne said, our target is to vote for general purpose, but we know we will have different uh, milestones going forward in the in the early stages. For sure. If you can share, how large in terms of number of qubits do you expect the initial device to be? How fast is the cycle time or the clock rate? Um, any specs you can share on your initial goals? Um, initially, well, um, the size will be, let's say, uh, two to six qubits at first. And, uh, and the state of the art is currently six qubits long, oh. so that's already there. Um, these will be really fast as, as all qubits. So the gate speech will be really, uh, really large, but, um, yeah, uh, th then of course we cannot do much say about the other performance factors since we haven't yet done, done spin qubit experiments without one to those. But the target is, of course, that we get there to the state-of-the-art results. So having having some microsecond coherence times and, and so on for, this, for these qubits. How large is the company and how large do you expect it to become in the next couple of years? Yeah, very good question. Uh, because uh, our, again, based on this, our strategy of being a very core quantum processor company, uh, company, we, we started with a small team of core uh, founders and, and employees. So we will be five uh, starting with, and then uh, in the next couple of years, we will most likely grow by one or two uh, employees more, uh, depending on the strategic, uh, let's say, employees that we will hire. Uh, and even further beyond that, we won't be growing exponentially because uh, we know we, we have uh, a task to fulfill in terms of developing our designs and, and, and doing the demonstration of the first, let's say, tens of qubits in, in, in a processor. But after that, depending on how we grow in terms of our uh, revenue and how we grow in terms of our uh, client demand, then we have a scope to grow. But we don't, we don't intend to grow unless there is a very uh, clear commercial path ahead of us as well. So we, we are very mindful of, of uh, our burn rate, so to speak, as, as it's called. That sounds like an incredibly capital efficient uh, company in terms of the number of employees. How are you funded? Right. So we are, we started uh, operations and you will, uh, the time when you when you uh, when your listeners will be hearing this podcast, we will be announcing it that we have some uh, early stage pre-seed investment from our investors. 
private investors and some uh, strategic angel, angel investors. And uh, that would be the starting point for us. But we are, of course, uh, going to have a lot of uh, public-private partnership projects uh, based out of public funds in Europe uh, as well, where we will be participating. And this is how we are going to grow. As I said in the beginning, our goal is to grow in a collaborative manner. So we will work together with other uh, stakeholders in various public funded projects and, and concentrate on our product development and then grow from there. So that's, that's kind of like the goal. What can you share with me about the quantum ecosystem in Finland? Why is Finland a unique place to build a quantum computing company? Yeah, this is, this is, uh, it goes to the core of our existence, basically. So, uh, Finland has been very strong, and you can see it from the companies like Blue Force, IQM, for example, that it has been very strong from the fundamental sign, science for decades. And, and this has led to those companies, Blue Force and IQM, to be successful and, and, and operating right now. And it's the same uh, with the technology that Janne was talking about that we have developed at BTT. And it all boils down to years of research and also critical infrastructures, having access to critical infrastructure. So all these factors come together uh, to, to build the scope for us to, to be in the right place at the right time. So if you can call it that way. So, and this, this sort of allows us to also leverage the ecosystem. So having Blue Force close by, providing the best cryogenic solutions in the world, having IQM who have now developed and built a business and, and uh, having uh, sort of partnerships with them and, and discussions with them. So all these factors and also companies like Quantralogs, for example, who are uh, providing specific solutions and, and can potentially be one of our close partners. So all these ecosystem players actually uh, help us and, and we hopefully will be helping them as well uh, going forward to build, build the base. But it's, it's very, very important that the research ecosystem, the education ecosystem, and the infrastructure uh, is here in Finland to allow us to do those things. As we get close to the end of our conversation, I wanted to ask you both a hypothetical question. If you could have dinner with one of the quantum greats, dead or alive, who would that person be? Oh, great question. I let Janet answer first while I think. <laughs> Yeah, I guess it would be nice to meet the Australian galleries if, if it would be possible. And why so? Why Schrodinger? Well, that, that's even better question. Uh, I, I don't know. I, it, that, that's the person who kind of um, uh, I had to deal most in my studies <laughs> from that side. I, I would actually love to meet uh, Professor Feynman, Richard Feynman. He's one of my, and one of the, one of the person who motivated me to study physics, actually. So, and who knows, if I meet him, I would even find some solutions for better, making better spin qubits, knowing how great he is. So, yeah. Excellent. So I wish you uh, lots of luck in your journey, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Yuval. Thank you.